London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time, history time. Three lives cut short. And for what? Two pounds in cash and five pounds worth of cigarettes. That's what. But be careful here. That paltry amount is a slippery slope. Does it somehow make it more acceptable if it had been two million pounds in cash and five million pounds in merchandise? How much is a human life worth? I don't think you want to paint yourself into a corner where you say, well, it was worth it. It was seven million pounds. Here's what went down. On the night of March 9th, 1954, two porters, Kenneth Gilbert, aged 21, and Ian Arthur Grant, aged 24, got into the Abbon Court Hotel in Harrington Court Gardens in South Kensington. Gilbert had previously worked at the hotel. He knew they could enter the hotel by a coal cellar. They went up into the servery. The night porter... George Frederick Smart, aged 55, heard them. He went to investigate. When he surprised the two young men, they set about him with their fists. They bound his hands and ankles and put a crepe bandage into his mouth. They gagged him. The gag slipped, so they put a serviette in his mouth on top of the other one. Struggling to move, George Smith banged his face against the floor. His nose bled into his mouth. Because of the serviettes, he couldn't expel the blood from his mouth. He suffocated. The story was in the newspapers the next day. Gilbert and Grant showed the story to an acquaintance and told him they had done a job the evening before and got some cigarettes and done a man in. They'd put the cigarettes in a railway luggage office. They told their acquaintance he could have them. They gave him the ticket. The acquaintance took the ticket to the police. The two were arrested. They were charged with murder. They were tried. They were found guilty. The jury deliberated for 20 minutes. They were sentenced to death. We learned from the newspapers that the two young men were both of Harwood Road, Fulham. I haven't drilled down deeper into the story, but I suspect they grew up on Harwood Road, were friends from the time they were little kids. Their appeals were dismissed. Counsel for the prosecution said, A violent act spoke for itself. There was a preconceived intention to overcome smart and to use violence. The felony on which they embarked was to steal in a dwelling house, and they knew that there would be a watchman there upon whom they planned to use violence if he offered resistance. As that violence resulted in the death of this unhappy man, that was murder. The appeal must be dismissed. It was. The juggernaut of the law rolled on. On June 16, 1954, the Times reported under the terse headline, No Reprieve, the Home Secretary has decided that in the case of Kenneth Gilbert, age 21, and Ian Arthur Grant, age 24, sentenced to death for the murder of George Frederick Smart, age 55, a night porter, There are no sufficient grounds to justify him in recommending any interference 
with the due course of the law. The men are due to be executed at Pentonville Prison tomorrow. Tomorrow was this day in London history, June 17, 1954. The next day, June 18th, in the News in Brief column of the Times, we read, Kenneth Gilbert, age 21, and Ian Arthur Grant, age 24, sentenced to death for the murder of a South Kensington Hotel night porter, were executed at Pentonville Prison yesterday. One paragraph, 29 words. Many years later, the juggernaut of the law had second thoughts. The Crown Prosecutor said, Oops, we made a mistake. Those two men should not have been executed. That was all well and good, but it was too late for those two young men. And their families. Anything else? Yes. The judge in the case was Lord Goddard, the Lord Chief Justice. He was a strong believer in capital punishment. He lived close to the Abancourt Hotel. His house had been burgled the previous year. That's one petit four. The other one is the execution of Kenneth Gilbert and Ian Grant was the last side-by-side double-hanging in Britain. Double-hangings were outlawed by the Homicide Act of 1957. The Pentonville Gallows? Pentonville is still a major London prison, has the distinction of being the busiest 20th century British gallows. 120 men were hanged at Pentonville between 1902 and 1960. That's an average of two per year. Indeed, Pentonville was a teaching prison for hangmen. People who successfully applied to be added to the Home Office list of executioners attended a one-week course at Pentonville where they were taught how to calculate and set the drop, pinion the prisoner, and carry out an execution with speed and efficiency. They practiced on a dummy in place of the prisoner. For what it's worth, Gilbert's and Grant's executioner was the biggest name on the marquee, the most famous hangman of the 20th century, hangman Albert Pierpoint. He moonlit as a publican, executed 435 men and women over the course of his 25-year career. Each execution earned him 10 pounds. They gave him a pay rise to 15 pounds toward the end of his career. This podcast began with two entries in the ledger, two pounds in cash and five pounds worth of cigarettes. The thought of ending it with two more entries in that ledger, ten pounds and fifteen pounds paid to the hangman, makes me nauseous. I refuse to end it that way. Instead, here are two short paragraphs from George Orwell's wonderful essay, A Hanging. These two paragraphs are like a pure white bird taking wing. It was about forty yards to the gallows. I watched the bare brown back of the prisoner marching in front of me. He walked clumsily with his bound arms, but quite steadily, with that bobbing gait of the Indian who never straightens his knees. At each step his muscles slid neatly into place, the lock of hair on his scalp danced up and down, his feet printed themselves on the wet gravel. 
and once, in spite of the men who gripped him by each shoulder, he stepped slightly aside to avoid a puddle on the path. It is curious, but till that moment I had never realized what it means to destroy a healthy, conscious man. When I saw the prisoner step aside to avoid the puddle, I saw the mystery, the unspeakable wrongness of cutting a life short when it is in full tide. This man was not dying. He was alive just as we were alive. All the organs of his body were working, bowels digesting food, skin renewing itself, nails growing, tissues forming, all toiling away in solemn foolery. His nails would still be growing when he stood on the drop, when he was falling through the air with a tenth of a second to live. His eyes saw the yellow gravel and the gray walls, and his brain still remembered, foresaw, reasoned, reasoned even about puddles. He and we were a party of men walking together, seeing, hearing, feeling, understanding the same world. And in two minutes, with a sudden snap, one of us would be gone. One mind less, one world less. <sighs> and a Today in London recommendation. Maybe go into a beautiful Christopher Wren church perhaps St. James's Piccadilly, and sit quietly in a pew for a few minutes, healing. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company, London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, just the right size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That's the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you can't get world-class guides, let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. Whether you're an employer or a consumer, you get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road we had to answer a blockbuster question. Do we want to make the most money, or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world, you do what you have to do to attract and keep elite, all-star guides. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole thing. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason we've got a lively, loyal, discerning following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able uniquely to front our walks with accomplished professionals. Barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, 
archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, Guide of the Year Award winners. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that happy note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. Good Londoning to you. See you tomorrow.